We are back into our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, we had taken a break for Easter last week, but we are we're almost done. We are on the Ninth Commandment today. So we've got today and next week. Next week we'll be wrapping up our series on the Ten Commandments. And so here we go with the Ninth Commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. When I was a kid, probably... Um, like an early teenager, maybe 13 or 14. Me and my friends, we went through a phase of being really into remote-controlled cars. And um, some of my friends had some like serious high-tech you know, radio-controlled cars. They had the, the special receivers, and you know, they had the, the multiple batteries and all this kind of stuff. And I, we could uh, never afford like a really good one. So I, I, kinda, you know, I remember getting one for Christmas one year, but it was the kind of like, yeah. You know, the batteries lasted about five minutes and then they needed 12 hours to charge up again. And, but one of my friends had this really cool remote control car. It was, you know, state of the art. This thing could get up to about 40 miles an hour. On its, you know, and it's, it's about this big and it had the rough terrain tires and really, really cool car. And he decided he wanted to upgrade. He wanted to get something even better. So he was selling this car and I had my eye on it. And I, I asked him, how, how much are you selling it for? He said, I'm selling it for 60 pounds. And uh, that's was, was quite a lot of money, all right? But I, I did have that money saved up. And I was like, okay, let's do it, let's do it, I'll buy it. So I bought the car from him, really excited. I've got this, just this mean machine, you know, it's kind of showing it off to my friends. And, uh, you know, my mum noticed that I got this new, and she said, where did you get that? And I said, um, uh, you see, I knew she would, she would not like the fact I bought it from my friend. So I said, um, I, I, I bought it from uh, uh, Johnson's down the road, which was a, a model shop, right? And she said, how much did it cost? Uh, 60 pounds. What? 60 pounds? That's ridiculous. You, you're going to have to take, take it back to the store. I said, oh, no, come on, please, you know, I'd save this money. I'd... No, you take, take it back to the store right now. I am, uh, I forget where my dad was, but she was like, I'm, I'm going to call your father up. He's going to take you to the store, and you're going to take the car back and get your money back. And I, re- <laughs> I realized I was digging myself a hole here because one lie, you know, now I'm having to tell another lie, you know, and, well, it was, it was used, and I don't think they'll give a refund. It was used, and you paid 60 pounds for it? You know, I'm like, oh, boy, this is just, you know, I'm getting deeper and deeper in the hole here. Until finally, I had to tell her the truth. I bought it from my friend. And uh, she was none too pleased. Uh, she grounded me for a month. And, you know, the funny part was, when I, when I came up with the truth... Um, I, I saw a look in her eye, and it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that I'd spent £60 on a used car from my friend. It was the fact that I'd lied to her. And in general, I'm a pretty honest kid, and I'm a pretty honest guy. You'll be glad to hear as your pastor. Um, but in that moment, I'd hurt her, and I betrayed the trust we had. And she felt disappointed in me that her, her son would lie to her about something like this. And it was, it was just an example of, to me, it was a real lesson. I don't think I ever lied to my mom again after that. You know, I'm, I'm sure I, there, there were some little lies I told and things. But you know, it really nailed home to me how important it is to be truthful and how hurtful lies can be to other people. Right? They can really, really hurt people. 
and actually do far worse than that, as we're going to talk about a little bit today. So when, when we look at this, this piece of scripture here, if we, if we look at it in its original setting, right? Remember, this is the Lord, uh, the Lord giving down commandments to the Israelites thousands of years ago. And, and the wording of the commandment itself, uh, you shall not give false testimony um, against your neighbor. It, it's the language of a court of law, okay? And so in its primary context, this command is talking about not giving false testimony about someone. Um, it, you can think of it as, i.e. not lying on the witness stand, right? Not lying in a way that uh, might lead to the unfair and false conviction of an innocent person, or far worse, to their death, to their execution. And <clears throat> most ancient justice systems of the ancient Near East were, were quite different from our own present-day uh, justice system, where we are presumed innocent until proven guilty, right? That's sort of like a basic right we expect, uh, the, you have to, the, the burden of evidence is to prove the person is guilty. Um, but back then, that wasn't the case. In fact, eyewitness testimony um, was, was, was key. And a person back then could be convicted on just the, the eyewitness testimony of just one person. All they needed was one person. And if the judge or who, whoever was uh, deciding, decided, I think this person's telling the truth, then the other person was declared guilty or innocent. Um, you know, they didn't have all the means that we have today, such as forensics and DNA testing and all that. It was just one person's word against another. So, so lying on the witness stand really could mean the difference between life and death back then. Now, as, as is often the case with, with God, he had a different level of expectation for his people, the Israelites, a different expectation of holiness and justice, um, especially compared to the pagan nations around him. So listen to what the Lord says in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. The Lord says, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, that was really quite. That was really quite revolutionary, for back then. I asked I asked Nick to do that um, somewhat into the sermon just to make sure we're all awake. So, thank you. <clears throat> There'll be another one a little later. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so that that was pretty revolutionary for those times, right? That the Lord had created this new system where you needed at least two or three witnesses uh, to convict somebody. Um, now, to us, it seems like a no-brainer today, doesn't it, with our justice system? Um, <clears throat> but you know what? I was thinking about this, and we, we saw kind of a modern-day example of this. With, uh, do, you, do you remember the, uh, the confirmation hearings uh, for um, the Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, right? And that got a lot of coverage by the press. And, and regardless of where you stand on the serious allegations that were, uh, were brought against Kavanaugh, what we saw there essentially was it came down to two testimonies, right? And one, one p- person declaring this did happen and the other person declaring it didn't happen. You know, and uh, I'm sure like me, you saw both people and, and perhaps felt torn in some ways um, because, you know, both sides seemed quite credible. But ultimately, it was an example here of um, somebody's testimony having the power to change somebody else's life. 
Because if the allegations um, against Kavanaugh were not true, then this had the potential to ruin his life and his reputation and all that kind of stuff, right? It affect his family. And if, if, the, and, and if Kavanaugh wasn't telling the truth, then we had a, an awful uh, crime going unpunished here. So it's very, very important to establish more than just one witness. And that was ultimately what it, it came down to, or corroborating evidence. And that's where the struggle was. But it's kind of a modern-day example of why we need more than just one witness a lot of the time. And it, it highlights to us the importance and potentially life-changing power of the testimony that somebody gives. So that's kind of a little insight into what was going on in uh, the time of the, the Israelites under Moses. But as we've worked through this series, you've probably come to realize that all the commandments, they, they point to far wider issues in our life, don't they? Um, as, as I've prepared and studied and done this sermon series, um, it's really been very eye-opening to me to realize how much depth is in the Ten Commandments. Um, there's more than meets the eye, as I've said before. Uh, they're far deeper and significant than we think because not only do they show us God's character and his holiness, but they also they address the very essence of the human heart and the human condition. And they, when we look at them, they expose the areas of, of weakness and idolatry in our life, places where we put other things before God. So this commandment on a primary level is about addressing false testimony in a court of law. But on a grander scale, God's really talking about lying in general. Yeah? He's talking about lying, the antithesis of, of truth, of being truthful. And so when we see the commandment like that as addressing the general problem of lying, all of a sudden it gets a lot closer to home, doesn't it? Because I think it's safe to say that we have all of us at some point in our lives lied. And if you don't agree with that, you're probably lying to yourself right now. <laughs> because we, we tend to lie, don't we? We tend to lie about things all the time, actually. You know, it, it, we, we don't realize sometimes how much we lie, but it's, it's kind of uh, part of what we do. So guess what, folks? Here's another commandment we're all guilty of breaking. As I've taken you through these commandments, we're starting to realize, wow, we, we can't really seem to, to actually hold any of these commandments. You know, we, we've, we've broken pretty much all of them so far. And right now, I think the count's at about nine and oh for breaking the commandments. So if we look at the, the idea of lying, I see that there are basically two broad categories of lies. There are lies we tell ourselves, and then there are lies we tell about others. And um, we, we also, we like to categorize lies, don't we? Right? That there are big lies that we all think are wrong. Oh, no, you shouldn't do that. And then there's, there's kind of smaller lies, you know, those little white lies right, that we all like to tell. Yeah? Little white lies. Oh, come on. It's just a little white lie. Who's, who's going who's gonna to care about that? And we all tell them. You know, and it's, it can be all kinds of things, can't it? Um, how about the dentist, you know, when they ask you how, how often you floss? <laughs> oh, I, nearly every day. Because <laughs> we don't want the biannual lecture and telling off that we get from the dental hygienist, right? 
But, uh, you know, we might think that's a case of a white lie, right? How often you floss. But, you know, churches are classic places, aren't they, for lies? I hate to say that, but it, it's, you know, because, <clears throat> I mean, how many, how many times have you, before arriving at church, had a big argument with your, with your spouse about something, Right? And you're using all kinds of words you wouldn't use in church. And the moment you walk in through the church, you're like, hey, how are you? Bless you. Everything's wonderful. Right? We've all done it. Even your pastor. And, it, 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 you know, it's a place where we like to act like we all have it together, isn't it? A church is one of those places where we, we want to show, yes, we are, we are spiritually together. I've got it all together. We put on our Sunday best, don't we? Um, which actually is kind of sad because I like to think that churches actually should be one of the few places where you can truly be yourself in a community of other people because we should all be aware of our own brokenness and our own issues. And we should all be aware of the, the grace of God. You know, if anything, this should be a place. I would hope this would be a place where you can actually be honest about struggles going on in your life. Instead of feeling like you have to cover up and show that you have it all together, that is a myth. You know, churches are spiritual hospitals, and we all have things we need healing from. But they do tend to be places where we like to put on a front and a show, aren't they? And so if you have two basic categories of lies, right, lies you tell yourself and lies that you tell about others, then I'd like to ask two questions about lying. And these are basically, why do we lie, and what do we lie about? Now, There's no way I could cover that comprehensively in a sermon. But I want to bring up, you know, some of the things why we lie and what we lie about. So why do we lie? Well, um, we lie to get something we want or desire. That's what happened with me with that remote-controlled car. I lied to my mum about where I bought it because I I didn't want it to be taken away from me. I wanted to keep that car. It was something I desired. Uh, we lie to avoid getting into trouble. There's another reason I lied, right? right? Kids are masters of lying to not get in trouble. Yeah? We, we, we lie to avoid punishment. We lie to avoid conflict. Because you see that a lie can, can also be a lie of omission. When you don't say something, that can also be being untruthful. We lie to, to damage or hurt somebody else. Right? Slander. We like to slander people. We like to make ourselves look good or to impress others. We lie to cover up who we really are or the problems we have. The alcoholic lies about how much they drink. The drug addict lies about how much they really use. And of course, what we... um, the why we lie often determines what we lie about. So sometimes we'll lie about money, right? How much we have or how much we don't have. As I was doing some research for this sermon, um, you know something that there's a huge percentage of people who lie about? Their resumes. I think it was something like 85%. Um, one, one employer found that 85% of the resumes they received, there was... There was some lie in there, some inaccuracy, something exaggerated. 
We lie to our parents, right? Our spouses. It's a classic one with musicians. Honey, how much did that guitar cost? We can lie to teachers, to law enforcement officers. We lie when we gossip, don't we? Gossip, I think, is a big one. Um, Or speaks behind somebody's back. Or spread rumors. Um, There's a a story of a a 13th century story of a, a local man who goes to the monastery and he goes to the monk and he confesses that he has been spreading lies about somebody in the local village. And he's feeling remorse about it. And he says to the monk, what should I do? And the monk says, take these feathers. I want you to put a feather on the doorstep of every house in the village. So he does that. And then he comes back to the monk and he said, now what do I do? He said, now I want you to go back and pick all the feathers up. He said, well, how am I going to do that? They're all going to have blown away. And, you know, and he said, right. And that is what your gossip and your lies do. They travel, they spread. Earl Wilson said that gossip is when you hear something you like about someone you don't. Come on. We kind of like it, right? Let's be honest. There's a little part of us. When we hear something we like, or something we, uh, was it something we like about someone we don't, we kind of, we enjoy a little bit of that twisting the knife in, don't we? But gossip, why is, why is gossip lying? Well, because it's always against our neighbor and it's often false. So it's the motives behind our gossip are usually never good. Social media is a hotbed of lies, isn't it? I mean, we, we use social media all the time to make ourselves look good or better than we really are to the rest of the world, right? How many of us put a photo up there that doesn't look anything like you in real life? Oh, this, this is a great photo of me. I'm going to put this up. People are going to think I look awesome. And then you see the person in real life, you're like, hey, uh, You know, you, you want to know how you really look? Here's how you really look. <clears throat> it's that moment when you get out of the, you've just had your hair washed in the hair salon, and they bring you back and sit you in front of the mirror. And you're like, Oof, wow. Okay, please get on with your work so I do not have to deal with this. But we, we use social media to, to uh, build this fake life about ourselves. Life is amazing all the time. I'm doing amazing things all the time. As I type this in my PJs in my bedroom, after I've just binge-watched a show. You know, we, we sort of we portray this, this false image, and it really is a form of deception. It's a form of lying. And one of, but, you know, one of the real dangers of lying is in how we can deceive ourselves about who we are. We want to protect ourselves from truth that shows us for what we really are rather than what we think we are. And if we're honest with ourselves and allow ourselves to go deep down into the depths of who we are, we're desperately afraid that we will find someone down there who without all the makeup and the filters and the bravado is somebody we don't like. And the reason for that is because without Jesus in our lives, we are ultimately lost. Without Jesus, we can never see the truth about who we are. We cannot do it without God. 
And actually, I, I believe this, this is what lies at the heart of why so many, especially in the younger generations, are feeling so, so depressed, so suicidal. They don't know who they are because they don't know who God is. So who is God? God is truth. He is the source of all truth. He is the antithesis of lies and defeat. Deceit, sorry. Hebrews 6.18 tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. Because truth is his nature. He is truth itself. God defines truth. His very essence is truth. And it's only because God reveals to us what truth is that we can actually know what lying and deceit is. Right? You can't know what lie is if you don't know what truth is. Just like you can't know what good is if you don't know what evil is. So another way of thinking it is you can't assert, you can't say something is a lie unless you have a definition of truth. And we know God is truth because we have him revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the truth. What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So without Jesus, we can't really know the truth about, about anything. And if we are truth bearers, we will reflect Jesus. We will honor God and his image that we are made in. And when we lie, we reflect something else. When we lie, actually what we're doing is we're defiling the image of God that we have been made in. In fact, by lying, we're not imitating God. We're actually imitating Satan. Satan is is the greatest deceiver and liar that the world has ever known. Right? It began with, with Adam and Eve, didn't it, in the Garden of Eden. Of Eden by questioning God's goodness and truthfulness. And he actually, what, what the servant does here is he frames the question to Eve as a lie by saying, did God really say to you that you could not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that's not what God said. God said you can eat from any tree in the garden except this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. So right away, he's beginning with a lie, with a deception. Jesus has some pretty harsh words to say. He calls Satan the father of lies. Listen to what he says in John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus said, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we lie... We're actually, in a scary way, we're emulating and imitating what Satan does. You could say when we lie, we're making him one proud papa. I don't think that's what we want to do. Part of the problem in telling the truth and lying is that our society has has become so mixed up about what truth is about what is true and what is false. 
You know, Pontius Pilate famously asked Jesus at his trial, what is truth? And many people today echo that question. What is truth? I believe the reason many people in our society today are struggling with the concept of truth is because more and more people are abandoning God. And when you remove the only true source and definition of truth, then guess what? The only arbiter of truth left are human beings, other people. And the problem with that is none of us are God. So when we're left to our own desires without a higher source, we all come up with our own ideas of what truth is. And that's why we hear all the time people who talk about, well, that's your truth. That's my truth. That's his truth. That's her truth. We hear that all the time. And of course, this is a reflection, isn't it, of our hyper-individualistic and self-involved attitude that kind of defines our culture right now, right? It's the me, 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 me generation. I mean, we're so self-focused, we've now decided we all have our own truth. (laughs) This is my personal truth because it's about me, the individual, right? We have iPhones. They're not called us phones, are they? Or they phones. Wouldn't that be nice? Nope iPhones, me phones. But it's, it's, it's really a product of our individualistic society. But <clears throat> it also actually, there's, a, there's a, a deeper root to this, this idea that, you know, uh, there's various kinds of truth, that there's no one objective truth. And it's actually um, one of the defining philosophies of our age, which is called relativism. Relativism. And this is the idea that all things are relative. They're relative to you. So, yeah, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. And the problem with relativism, if you really think about it, is it's a self-defeating philosophy. It doesn't make sense. And to, to, to hold to it is actually quite foolish. Because the underlying statement of relativism is, it says there is no absolute truth. Do you see the problem? that statement is declaring an absolute truth. When you say there is no such thing as absolute truth, you're saying, accept what I just said. It's logically incoherent. It does not make sense. And it falls flat when you actually think about it for a second. And it's this deception, this self-defeating philosophy that allows us to buy into and believe all kinds of lies about ourselves that we are told by often secular culture that tries to define who we are. Yeah? We're told all kinds of lies, such as there is no God, that we are all just product of blind evolution, that Jesus was just a wise Jewish teacher, if he really existed at all. And if he did, he certainly didn't rise from the dead. We're told lies about our sexuality, what will make us happy in life, where the true source of happiness is. Our politicians are full of lies. Can I hear an amen? Our media and news corporations are less and less trustworthy. But perhaps worst of all is we are told lies about who we are in God's eyes. Lies such as, God could never love me. I'm too far gone to be forgiven. You don't know what I've done. Well, he does know what you've done. And he loves you anyway. 
lies such as, I don't need a savior or I can save myself. If I just get the right self-help book, I can get it all together. We believe these lies about ourselves and we live in a culture of lies. It's, it's no wonder that we feel dizzy. It's no wonder there's so much anxiety and fear and worry in the world right now. Many don't know where to turn because they feel like there's nothing you can trust and hold on to. So where do we turn? See, this is where I feel, this is where the church is so important. Where do we turn? We turn to Jesus Christ because he is truth. Here is a rock, here is an anchor in the crazy sea that we live in right now. Here is something that is immovable, that will not talk behind your back will not bail on you, will not give up on you. Jesus, the truth incarnate. It's also why scripture is so important. This book, this book is truth. It's God's revelation. Listen to what this book, this Bible tells us about Jesus. This is from uh, 1 John chapter 5. John says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. Do you hear that word true resounding through that whole statement? The thing about Scripture is it gives us a bar, it gives us a standard and a source outside of ourselves and above ourselves of what truth is. And to appreciate this and accept it, here's the deal, we have to kind of adopt a posture of humility. We have to humble ourselves, which I realize is a a rare virtue in our world today. And let me throw this thought out to you. We, we, often, we come often questioning the Bible all the time, don't we? Well, I, I don't get what it says about this, or I don't agree with that. And, you know, but what if instead of us questioning the Bible, what would happen if we let the Bible question us? To examine us. You would see your life transformed, and people do. Because Jesus is truth, it's so important that we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are truthful. We are called to be truth bearers in the world today because we are image bearers of God. And as a result, that means we're we're his reps, right? We're representatives for God on earth. And when you think about it, how can the world know what truth is if we don't show them? We who know the truth we don't show others, how will they know? Of course, being truth bearers is difficult because often the world does not like being confronted with the truth. Look what they did when they were confronted by Jesus. They put him to death. They brought false witnesses against Jesus to testify against him, even though the truth was living, breathing, standing right in front of them. One side note here, which I believe the church is guilty of, is the fact that truth without love will fall on deaf ears. Unfortunately, this can be a product of many self-righteous Christians. 
They might be right about something. They may know the truth about something. But the way they tell it to people and convey it and ram it down their throats, it has no love in it. We're not called to do that. We are called to be truth bearers, but we're called to do it in love with the right attitude and motives of the heart, not to just be like, ha. Otherwise, it will fall on deaf ears. So I want to wrap up here, but just give you a couple of final thoughts. We must become people of truth because we worship a God of truth. It's that simple. And we must also come to understand the truth about ourselves, who we are. And the truth about ourselves is that, folks, without Jesus, we are lost. The truth is that as as God, Jesus became one of us and went to the cross to pay the price that we could not pay. And that he conquered death and he rose from the dead. That's what we celebrated last week. And it was through that conquering of death and rising from the dead that he opened the doorways to salvation for anyone who believes in him. How do we know the truth? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's really the most wonderful thing about truth. When we learn the truth by following Jesus, right, by being his disciple, then we will taste the true and only path to freedom in your lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we, we just we thank you that you are truth, that your whole essence and nature is the definition of truth. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would work on our hearts and show us what really is true and what is false in our lives. Would you highlight places, Lord, where we, we have areas of, of, of deceit and, and lying, um, places where we deceive, Lord? And I just pray that uh, not that you would condemn us, but that you would convict us, Lord. Just gently prod us, remind us that this is something we need to lay aside and we need to be honest and truthful in all that we do. I pray that by doing that, Lord, we would be a witness to those around us, that they would know there is something different about us, that we, they would know we have the spirit of the living God in us. And so bless us, Lord, and thank you that you are truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.